Amen. Thank you, Brother Terry. The message in that song. When we couldn't go to him, he came to us. So I appreciate uh, Terry singing this morning, especially that, that song. And then I appreciate our choir singing and our praise team and all of you taking part in worship. And so uh, thank you so much for, for being a part of everything. If you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus. We want to look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Exodus chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. And uh, I want to share with you a sermon that I've just simply titled, uh, Stop Making Excuses or No More Excuses. Stop making excuses. I appreciate the silhouette of Moses there and the rod because this is all about him, but it's all about us today also. Exodus chapter 4. I hope you found that by now. Look at verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Let me just stop and say that's the natural thing to do when you meet a snake is to flee from it. Number four, verse four. And the Lord said to Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and he called it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand unto, into thy bosom. Now they wore uh, cloaks at that period of time. I have a jacket on this morning, a sport coat. And so if God was telling me that, I would, I would put my hand inside my coat or my heart. That's what he's referring here. Put now thy hand into thy bosom, and put, he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. He said, put thine hand back into thy bosom again, and he put his hand back into his bosom again. He plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, they shall believe the voice of the latter sign. It shall come to pass that if, uh, if they will not believe these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So he's given them three signs. He's given Moses three signs to share with the Egyptians and the children of Israel, by the way, that it is God that's speaking to Moses. Verse 10, Moses said unto him, Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither hitherto nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He says, back there at the burning bush, I couldn't talk that good then. I couldn't speak that well. I still can't. 
Verse 11, the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or deaf or sin or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Lord, send whoever you want to send, but don't send me. Send somebody else. And that kind of made God angry. It was kindled against Moses, as angry was. And he said, It's not Aaron the Levite thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth and, and will be with thy mouth. I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you uh, what you shall do. So God said, Moses, I'm going to speak to you. I want you to speak to Aaron. I want Aaron to speak to the people. In other words, you're not getting out of this, Moses. So he's kind of aggravated at Moses. Sometimes we want to get out of things that God wants us to do. and We'd rather have somebody else to do it. You don't get out of it. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even, it shall be even, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. You're speaking on my behalf. And thou shalt take this rod in thy hand, and wherewith thou shalt do signs. With it thou shalt do signs. One thing that's difficult for believers to understand is that God wants to do something with you he wants to do something in you and he wants to do something through you it's more than just coming to church he has a purpose for us in the kingdom work so regardless who you are as a believer regardless what you might think of yourself and how limited you think you might be if God has a purpose for you He's going to see that that purpose is fulfilled in your life. It's carried out by you for him and for his purpose. So with that in mind, the call of Moses came in a very uh, drastic way in chapter 3 of Exodus. You remember he was watching his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. Been doing this for about 40 years. He's on the backside of a desert. And he was going to have to learn a hard lesson, and the lesson was he couldn't do what God, he could not do what God wanted him to do in his own power, in his own strength, and in his own flesh. And so he'd learned that lesson really well to the fact that he was satisfied, or he had satisfied or convinced himself that there really wasn't anything that he could do for God. There was nothing really he could do to even help God. And so he's tending sheep in Exodus 3, and he sees a, he sees a, uh, a strange sight. He sees this, this bush burning, and it's not being consumed. It's on fire. It's not, it's not being consumed. And so he turns aside to see what it was all about. And when he gets to the bush, God speaks to him out of the bush because God is considered to be a consuming fire. In the Bible, God says, take your sandals off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And God says, I've heard the cry of my children in Egypt. 
I know they're in captivity. I know they're in bondage. They're crying out to me, and I've heard that cry, and I'm sending you to stand before Pharaoh to bring about their release, to, to, to lead them out of Egypt and to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, to Canaan land. I'll refer them to the same place. And, and, and when Pharaoh objects or the children are kind of leery about what you're doing there, who sent you, uh, then you just, said, you just say, God sent me, and, and my name is I Am. And so that's chapter 3. Well, chapter 4 begins by, chapter 3 ends by God saying, I am who I am. And chapter 4 begins by saying, uh, by Moses saying, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. He said, I'm not going to do this. And he begins to give a couple of excuses. We're going to try to get through one today. One excuse, this job's too hard. God may be asking you to do something. You're thinking, there's no way I can do that. That's just too hard. Another excuse we give is that uh, I'm too weak to do it. So first of all, let's look at this thing about I'm too, I'm too hard. He said, I, I can't do a work. You see, God can't. God can't do a work in you, with you, through you, if, you, if you don't agree with God and you think it's too hard. And so the first excuse by, by Moses is that it's just too hard. So Moses is saying this. He's saying, listen, let me get this straight. God, you want me to go into Egypt. You want me to talk to the most powerful man in the known world at this time, Pharaoh. And you want me to... to, to to talk to Pharaoh, who is also viewed as to be God by his people. You want me to go to him, and you want me to command him to let your people go, those people that he's had in bondage for 400 years, that built all of his buildings, built all of his giant pyramids. You want me to go and tell him to let those people go. And God said, yes, that's what I want you to do. And so look, if you will, at verse 1. He says in verse 1, Moses answered and said, Behold, they'll not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they'll say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The job is just too hard. God says, I'm going to give you three signs, and when you stand before the children of Israel, these three signs are going to confirm that I've sent you. First of all, look at your rod. And so he tells him to look at a rod. Now, I have a rod here. I was telling Brother Tim Wells last week. Tim made this rod for me. This is a, this, a shepherd's staff. Some were as small as three feet tall, and then some were about uh, five and a half foot tall. Some had a crooked head. But the, the shepherd's rod was for two purposes. First was to, it was a defensive weapon, and the shepherd would fight off robbers and thieves and wolves and other animals. And then the shepherd, when you get tired, it's just something for the shepherd to kind of lean on, to rest on. And so God says, listen, I, I, want, I want you to take your rod, and I want you to kind of throw it down on the ground. And so he takes his rod, and he throws it down on the ground. And uh, now, what's interesting about the rod is, when he threw that down on the ground, God says, take your rod, throw it on the ground, and it became a snake, it became a serpent. Now, all through the scripture, God has embedded the picture of the gospel. 
from, from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. So you have the plan of salvation. It never changes. It may blaze up in front of you while you're reading the Bible. It may just be tucked away somewhere. It, it may be kind of, I don't know, uh, you can see a glimpse of it while you're reading. But throughout the Bible, you're going to see where Jesus Christ came down to die on the cross for mankind's sin. And so... He throws the rod down. And incidentally, Psalm 110, verse 2, the Bible says that Christ is the rod of God. It's in the gospel in this. And so he throws it down. And when he threw that rod down, that pictures Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how he left heaven because we couldn't go to him. He came down to us. He left heaven. He came down to this earth. He came down to the earth. He came down to us because we couldn't go up to him. When I couldn't get to him, he came to me. I appreciate Terry singing that song. But the Bible also says that the rod became a snake. And that pictures the fact of what Galatians 3.13 says when it says Jesus Christ, who, who knew no sin, became a curse for us. And there, that serpent pictures the curse. That's the pattern of the gospel. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, never been saved, I've got some good news. And the good news is Jesus Christ left heaven. He came down to earth, bore the curse of sin on the cross for you and for me. We couldn't go to him, and so he came to us. That's for the lost person. But for the believer... When he laid that rod down, that pictures the fact that whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever resource, whatever ability you have, it has something of the nature of the serpent or, the sa or Satan. Um, see, we're to, the point being, we're to, to let go of it. We're to take our hands off of it. We're to relinquish the control of it into the hands of God. So he had to let go of the rod. He had to relinquish the rod. He had to cast it down. He had to relinquish his control. The point is, we put, he put his rod at God's disposal. And so there's something of the snake in every area of your life that's not surrendered to God. So do you want to tell... you? Let me, let me just share with you about um, the influence that Satan can have in your life if you don't give it over to God. There are places in your life that, that uh, you're controlling, that you haven't given to God. Uh, those places are, are in your control. They're in your charge. Those places that you don't lay down, those places that you don't take your hands off and and let go of. So the point is, he, he lays that rod down, he relinquishes control of his own self-support, he relinquishes control of his own self-defense, he was saying, I'm going to look to God to be my defender, I'm going to look to the power of God to meet my needs, I'm going to look to the power of God to be my supplier, and so when he grabs hold of that, that tail of that serpent, that snake begins uh, turns back into a rod again. But now it's not just a shepherd's rod. 
It, it's, it represents the power of God that's going to rest upon his life from here on out. So throughout the book of Exodus, we see the power of God displayed in his life as he holds up that rod. You remember the picture? He comes to the Red Sea, and they're stalled at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army uh, is behind them, and so they get to the Red Sea. What does he hold up over the sea? He, he holds up the rod of the power of God. And the sea parts, and they walk across on dry land, and the sea comes back in and destroys Pharaoh's army. What does he do when they reach a place where they need water? He takes the rod, the power of God, and he, he strikes the rock, and water gushes forth out of the rock. What does he do when the armies of Israel are fighting the Amalekites? And he stands on this mountain, and, and he holds up the rod, and as long as he was holding up the rod... They were defeating the Amalekites, but when he would lower the rod, they would lose, and he kept the rod, the power of God, held in the air. And as long as he held the rod up, the children of Israel provided. Here's the point. For God to use you, to work in you, to work through you, to work with you, in every life of a believer, you have to come to a place where you have to say, my voice belongs to God, my mind belongs to God, my hands belong to God, my feet belong to God, my money belongs to God, my marriage belongs to God, I'm going to let go of it, I'm going to relinquish control of it. That's the first sign, the first lesson that Moses was willing to hear from God. Now the reason some of you, God's not using some of you and working through you is that you're still in control of a lot of things in your life, mostly of what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, seconds ago. You're still in control of your mind. You're still in control of your resources. You're still in control of your voice. You're still in control of your singing. You're still in control of your feet. You're still in control of your hands. And you wonder why God doesn't use you. You need to throw your rod down. That rod turned into a snake, turned back into a rod again. So the point is, before God can do work in us, with us, through us, we have to relinquish control of ourselves to God. So then he said, listen, if they won't believe that sign, I'll give you a second sign. And so he gives them uh, a second sign. Look, if you will, in verse 6. I've got to wrap up. Verse 6. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. It's important to understand that the hand, the, the heart, represents, put your hand in your bosom, where you put it, put it over your heart. You see, your heart represents who we are. The hand represents on what we do now listen up the point is the condition of our heart is what's going to determine what you do with your hand the condition of your heart will determine how you live your life and what you do with your life only the work of grace in the heart of a person by the power of the gospel, can so change us in that our conduct changes. Only the grace of God through the gospel can work in your life and my life to the point to where our conduct changes. 
So he puts his hands in his bosom over his heart and he pulls it out and it's leprosy. The Bible teaches us that leprosy is a type of sin. And so put your hand over your heart. That's the state of your heart. You've got an evil heart. You've, you've got a sinful heart. You've got leprosy heart. You've got a, you have an evil heart. Recently, there was a man that made a very distinct plan on how to go into a hotel in Las Vegas and carry a number of weapons in that hotel and go up several floors where he could look down over a concert. And there he bursted out a window and he began to fire on innocent people below, killing 58 people. We've had another tragedy at a school since then. And they're trying to understand what caused that man to do that, what caused the student to do that in that particular case. They're trying to figure out what drives people to do something like that. Why do people do drive-by shootings into homes they don't even know who lives in there and who their bullet may hit? Why do they send pipe bombs in the mail to kill innocent people? Why do they have go into their workplace and, and kill people like happened uh, here at YouTube uh, last week? Why do they do that? And when they're asking all these questions, you and I have an opportunity to take part in the discussion and help them find the answer by just explaining the situation. It's caused by people that have an evil heart. That's what causes it. The hand does what the heart is. If the heart is evil, the hand will be evil. The mouth will be evil. The feet will be evil. So the heart of the attacker in Las Vegas was leprous. The school shooting was leprous heart. His heart was wicked. And the Bible says that's the way we are born into the human race. We're born in sin. But verse 7, notice what happened. He takes his hand back, puts it back in. He puts his, his hand back in over his heart. He pulls it out, and, and he's healed. And so the point is the only way you can have the evil removed in your heart, the only way you can have that evil ripped away is to respond and to receive the invitation by Jesus Christ to allow him to come into your life, to change your heart, to change your life, and not only change your heart, but give you a new heart and a new life to forgive you of your sins and birth you into the kingdom of God. That's the only way to get rid of an evil heart, to change you. And so without Christ this morning, you need a new heart. Because your heart is evil. So, throw the rod down. They won't listen. Put your hand in your heart. Let them see it. Take it back. Put it back in. Let them see it clean. I'll finish with this. A third sign uh, is verse 9. Look what he says in verse 9. It shall come to pass, if thou not believe also, these two signs neither hearken to thy voice, but thou shalt take of the water of the river. And pour it upon dry land. Go down to the Nile. Get some water from the river Nile. Pour it upon the land. Which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So you go down and you get some water from the river. And you pour it out on dry ground. And it, it, it becomes blood. 
Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, let me tell you what that means. That is a picture of life, river, flowing. That's a picture of life giving way to death. Water becoming blood. Now, to those who don't know Christ, if you refuse to acknowledge that Christ alone has power to save you from the nature of the serpent, if you refuse the gospel, then God has no alternative whatsoever, because He's holy and He's just, to cast you into a lake of fire, which is known in the Bible as the second death. Listen, make a note. Physical life gives way to a second death where you're forever separated from God. So Moses stands before God and he says, the job's too hard. And God basically says, it's not your job, Moses. It's my job. And I'll give you what you need to do the job. If you'll just relinquish control into my hands, relinquish all of your control into my hands, now, there are many, perhaps some here today, who are try, kind of having trouble to determine what the will of God is for their life. I've experienced that in my own life. You say, well, Brother Samuel, what can I do? Because I want God to do something in me, do something with me, and I want Him to, to do something through me. Number one, as we close, here's what you do. First thing you do, is take your hands off your life and put your life in the hands of God. Because the first excuse you're going to have is, I cannot do that because that is just too hard. If you want to surrender to God and do what He has, a glorious thing for you to do, the first thing you need to do is totally surrender your control over your life to Him. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence today and kind of look at the life of Moses. And Lord, to be asked to do a task like he was asked, and it's just amazing. But yet, Lord, he was afraid. I've been afraid before. But then God came to him and he gave him three different signs and the whole thing was he wanted control of Moses' life. And so, Lord, I pray that we've got that message here this morning that you want to do something with us, in us, and through us. But before you can do that, we have to relinquish the control of our lives. There are things we're holding onto that still has the marks of the serpent. Lord, we've got to lay your mind down at your feet. We've got to lay our, our hands, our feet, our resources, our talents, our spiritual gifts, whatever we have that we haven't turned over, we've got to turn it over to you before you're really able to use us in a mighty way. And I pray that lessons come home today. I pray for each person here, for those who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life. And Lord, you came down because we could not go up. And so that heart who's never trusted Christ, Lord, as good as they may be, there's a tendency there. There's a, there could be a possibly break, Lord, in that person and where they could be the most evil person around. We never would think we'd be that way, but there's a possibility there to our hearts change. We have a new heart. 
The only thing that separates me from doing what other people have done have not known you, Lord, is as I know you as Lord and Savior of my life. You've given me a new heart. You've changed me, and I thank you for that. So I pray for each person here, regardless who they might be, how good they may be, Lord, if they'll come for heart surgery today, they'll be willing to give you themselves and return for a new heart, a heart that only you can give. And so, Father, I pray now that you would be with this time of invitation. Help us to realize that we need to surrender everything in order to be used totally of you. Thank you for what you're going to do this morning. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.